Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sportstone podcast, the first of the Ashes edition. The, the goal is to do these Ashes breakdown daily um, after each day of the test match to break it down for you guys because there's so much going on uh, for all the hype that the series had, for all the comparisons that it had to 2005. It is creating its own legacy in the first four days. It is such thought-provoking cricket. It is such it is such a chess match. Back and forth, back and forth. Are England ahead? Why are England doing this? Why are Australia doing this? Questions, questions. Lack of answers. And I think that is what makes narratives intriguing. That is what makes tactics intriguing. That's, I think, what makes sports intriguing. And that's what we have so far. Let's focus on what happened in day four. And I think to start off, we have to focus on Joe Root's opening sequence. Joe Root was ca- the catalyst of one of the most enthralling opening passages play I've probably ever seen. And I, it might be an overstatement, it might be recency bias, but goddamn, it was enthralling. Broad revealed in the press conference after the end of the day's play that Root had said that he was looking to play a reverse scoop first ball of the day. I just want everyone to fathom this. Joe Root, a batter who has scored close to 10,000 test match runs, probably without even considering the the plausibility of a reverse scoop. He is known to have one of the best techniques in world cricket in the past decade, the the best range, and now he's adding to this range. Now he's the one determining his shot for the first ball of the day before he even faces up, before he even walks out onto the ground, before he even looks at the bowler at the top of his run-up. If this isn't an indicator of an ideology, of, of, a, of a zeitgeist, of, of a climate, of a mindset that is going to change test cricket in general, then I'll be very surprised. This reminds me of Dutch total football. Tiki-taka, Mourinho, Prigione against Messi, Guardiola. For the Australians, Ange Ball, as you may have it. What Joe Root's mindset is doing, it's telling bowlers that line and length predictability is now not enough. In fact, line and length predictability from Scott Boland, what terrorized India over a week ago, is now what Joe Root wants. He's telling bowlers that everything you ever learnt with the red ball about bowling uh, a good length and hitting the top of off is actually what Joe Root wants you to bowl, so you can play one of the most ludicrous and risky shots. The funny thing is, Joe Root, I don't think he thinks the shot is risky. I think he thinks if there are any risk, uh, the safeness of the shot sort of outweighs it. He thinks that playing a lofted cover drive in which there may be a deep cover or a deep point is actually more risky than this reverse scoop because of the reverse scoop you have two slips up, you have a gully up, you have the keeper up, you just have to get over and it's guaranteed runs. He backs his skills that he will hit the ball and he won't miss it. Therefore from his point of view it is a guaranteed scoring option. I love Crickwiz by the way and they have great work. Um, all the time, do the, the, the Crickers analyst. Uh, one of the great stats that they came up with last night was that Joe Root has scored over a thousand runs in his test career, sweeping and scooping. 491 of these runs have come in the last two years since the inauguration of Basketball. A great stat to actually show this switch in mindset, show this, um, to an extent, freedom, this, this brashness, this boldness, brashness is probably not the most accurate word to use, but I guess this boldness, this carefree attitude that has stemmed from Basball. However, I, I, I think you, you have to keep it real, and I, I think you have to say that Joe threw it away. 
Um, I, I'm going to discuss this later. Uh, what, what, what I believe in these first four days from what I've seen, what the actual essence of basketball is. I, I, by the way, I don't think it's just swing and hit out. I, I don't think that basketball is. I think basketball is actually much more um, ideologically layered and, and ingrained just compared to swing hard, hit out. I think that's quite superficial analysis of basketball. Um, and I, I think to an extent we can make that analysis with Joe Root um, by saying that, yeah, he threw his wicket away. Despite all the attacking shots he played in that opening sequence and that um, close to 100 strike rate, 46 run knock that he made, he never lost his shape. The whip through mid-wicket off Scott Boland, the the drives, the, the reverse scoops, the sweeps, the down-the-ground shots, he had never lost his shape, but on the dismissal, he completely lost his shape. He took the gear to the next level, to an unsustainable level. And I think Nathan Lyon um, tempted him to an extent. I, I think the flight of the ball, the trajectory, it, it sort of went above uh, Joe Root's eye line. It was that tempter, and his head was up in the sky, and he was gone. Speaking of Nathan Lyon, I've been really intrigued and, and tremendously impressed by his, his bowling this match. Um... Bharat Sundaresan, who does great coverage of, of training sessions and sort of the pre-match festivities and build up to the game, had, um, I think it was a day or two days before, he had shared some images and shared a few videos of Matt Renshaw and Josh Inglis utterly looking to take apart Nathan Lyon, upon instruction by Nathan Lyon. Nathan Lyon went up to him and said, take me apart, I want to adjust my lengths, I want to adapt to the pressure of being hit every ball in nets. And I think that practice is tremendously helping him in what he is sort of doing in this series and the success he had in this first match. Eight wickets. Uh, I think the prime example is how he bowled to Harry Brook. To Harry Brook, he was adamant on going back a length to ensure Brook doesn't dance down and play that inside-out cover shot that, that he lives off to an extent. And um, I guess down the ground, slog sweep, reverse sweep, um, regulation sweep, these are all shots that require a fuller length for, for, for Harry Brook. And, uh, and I guess um, activation of his feet, whether to the pitch of the ball or um, dancing down the wicket. However, this back and length, and what it did was it frustrated Harry Brook. And I think to an extent, it, it led to the, the soft dismissal of Harry Brook. What Australia did is that the back and length, it made Harry Brook play off the back foot. you got to cut me. you got to pull me. you got to punch me. Or you have to play some ludicrously ridiculous shots like a, a short arm jab, a, a back foot a back foot sort of straight arm punch. And what Australia also did is that if you want to do that, we will block off your inside out shot by placing a deep, uh, a sort of a square deep cover. And I think this also brings me to the rationale that a lot of the commentators on air have been totally against um, Kumar Sankara, Ricky, um, Kevin Peterson in particular. The sort of the, I guess if you'd like to call it the defensive captaincy of Pat Cummins. I think, I think it's a double-edged sword. Uh, I, I think to an extent, I can see the ideology, but I think at, at times he, Pat Cummins didn't miss a trick. Like for example, the deep point um, to Joe Root at the start of the innings on day one, and even on, on day four, I think that wasn't on. But I think a deep cover to block off the primary scoring option of Harry Brook um, and make him think of a plan B, make him think of a plan C, which oppositions have not really been able to do with basketball. Right now, plan A has just been, I'm going to play the shots I want. And I'm going to hit you out of the attack. I'm going to put so much pressure on you that the run rate just gets out of hand. Yeah, and I think blocking off um, that deep cover, blocking off that major scoring option, um, I think it, to an extent it, it justifies the rationale behind this defensive captaincy. Restrict the major scoring options, 
frustrate England and make them play false shots or make them play alternate shots, shots that they aren't as comfortable with by trying to ultimately still attack consistent bowling. Because that's, I think, the pillar of basketball. Attack, attack, attack. It's not hit, hit, hit. It's what is the most positive scoring option that I can play. The bowling from Australia is is incessantly consistent. So to play shots that you aren't used to against consistent bowling might not have the same dividends that your major scoring options would have. And uh, I think it was ultimately seen with Harry Brook. He was 3 of 10 in the lead-up to his dismissal against Nathan Lyon. So what did he decide to do? He, there was a short midwicket in place. There was a deep square in place as well. He's like, you know what, Nathan Lyon? I'm sick of you. I'm sick of your back of the numbers. I'm going to hit it. He goes back. He tries to pull it. Doesn't get it. Miles Labuschagne takes a sharp catch. Harry Brook is gone. And I think it's a soft dismissal. I think another another evidence of how, how Nathan Lyon was really thinking about the way he was bowling is his Ben Stokes, he was um, very full because Ben Stokes loves, loves to just go deep in his crease, long sweep, sweep, reverse sweep. Um, very rarely he'll come down the wicket. He'll come down the wicket um, probably looking to break the shackles a bit. But so Stokes, go, uh, Lyon kept going full and it was a complete juxtaposition to length that he was bowling to um, Harry Brook. I think while we're talking about Nathan Lyon, um, you, I think you have to talk about the, the bowling partnership between Nathan Lyon and Pat Cummins. Uh, I think it was the bowling partnership that saved Australia, kept Australia in, in the test match. I, I loved the way Pat Cummins was bowling. He was constantly, I think he was constantly thinking. Uh, I think that's the best way to look at it. Um, his lengths were... His lengths were actually quite diverse. On the thunderstorm day or on day three at the night, he was good length, swinging away, swinging in, um, perfect. Day four, um, he saw the attack at the start. So he's like, I'm going to go full. I'm going to get this ball to tail in. And that York to Ollie Pope, whew, that, that might be one of the best deliveries that this series might see. And then he, towards the end, he decided to go short. He decided to um, go to the ribcage and start cramping people up. But what was sort of consistent was that he was going full throttle. And these were, he, he was bowling longish spells. I think the first spell on day four was five to six overs, maybe even seven overs. I don't have the exact stat in front of me. But he was going full throttle, and you could see in his celebrations that he was locked in. And um, I think Nathan Lyon was sort of also, his mind was locked in. He was constantly thinking. He was thinking of his next move, which is why um, I think the chess match description is so, so accurate. Um, and this sort of work, workhorse, this, um, I guess, constantly... Uh, taking over the gears in their mind we're constantly taking over that partnership of Lyon and Cummins is what has kept Australia afloat in terms of the target they were chasing it's Basball obviously Basball major narrative uh, of what has sort of been occurring so um, I guess let's talk about the sustainability of Basball this test match has been a, a great example of, of the thrills that basketball can provide. But at times, uh, the sort of head-scratching behind the, the shot selection and, and the decisions made by the players. Um, the declaration on day one, for some, quite stupid. Root was not out at 118. A, a pitch that seemed relatively docile. Any extra runs would be useful. Runs of great utility. For some, it was thrilling. Four overs from Broad and Anderson, two batters who have heavy scars in this nation against the same two bowlers that are Stuart Broad and Anderson, bowlers that have close to 1,000 wickets um, each. Ben Duckett, another example. 
Uh, you probably need to survive one or two more rivers before the thunderstorm, which ultimately ended day three, came down. What does he do? Charges down, wafts that one outside off, and nicks off to, albeit a great catch by Cameron Green. Joe Root, another example, one of the most secure and fundamentally sound batters of the game is cruising. Albeit through, through risky shots, through extravagant shots, but he's never losing his shape. He takes the throttle to the infinite gear, and his head, up is, his head is up in the sky. He's stumped. Harry Brook, out of frustration, plays the shot straight to the fielder. These are all dismissals that can be avoided. These are all dismissals that are perhaps reaping the risks and perhaps the disadvantages of trying to be too extravagant and too ag aggressive. But being brash, stuck up, willing to die by the sword is perhaps the essence of Bazball. Perhaps you can't criticize the decisions that come with its sort of arrogance and aggressiveness, hyper-aggressiveness, Julian Nagelsmann-esque, if that is also what leads to its success. Perhaps you have to be willing to accept that, yeah, England could, if with certain moderation, certain sophistication, get to 400, 450 instead of 300. But the fact that they get to 300 in the first place is as a result of the arrogance of the extravagance because the prior England teams could not even get to 300 in the first place. So if you're telling them that, oh, be aggressive, but be aggressive in moderation, are you, not, are you not then essentially requiring them to think to the level they had to think previously and overthinking at that stage? That is perhaps the consideration. But yeah, from a utopian perspective of England, decided to sort of read situations in, in a bit more moderation with a bit more temperance then they could be world beaters. And I, I think that's, that's a word that George um, George Dobell from the from the cricketer uh, used. And I, I think it was a great read. However, I, I think there is one distinction that I would like to point out. Um, and I think it's inaccurate to say, and I think it's sort of what what I think the conception, perhaps the narrative behind Basball is starting to become. I think it is inac inaccurate to call Basball's batting formula to just be swing hard. I think that is completely against what Basball actually is. Um, I think yesterday was a good example, but I want to go all the way to the first hour of day one. Uh, I think the first hour of day one gave a great glimpse of what Basball actually was. It was Oli Pope was 5 or 15 at the stage. Um, even yesterday, Ben Stokes, uh, for the first hour of his innings, his strike was below 30. It is inaccurate to say Basball is swing hard. In my opinion, Basball is the freedom to play what an individual thought the desired shot for the ball was, and if it fails, so be it. Value on wicket to an extent exists. It doesn't exist in its sort of traditional conception in which that, oh, you should play the ball on its merit, you shouldn't premeditate, you should leave these certain balls, you should play front foot defenses to these certain balls, you should play back foot defenses to certain balls. No, that sort of value of wicket doesn't exist. The value of wicket is very subjective, and to an extent, it's a personal conception of value of wicket. So value of wicket is Joe Root saying that, oh, these are the shots I'm good at, these are the shots I'm not good at. So I'm going to try to play, play the shots that I'm really good at, the balls that are really good, I will respect, I will play also the some of the, the smart percentage shots. For example, if it's a deep point, I'm happy to just take easy singles to get off the mark. So on and so on. That is value of wicket. So Ben Stokes saw that, okay, this is a bit of a tricky period in the game. I could really take it to the bowlers if I wanted to. But Joe Root is going well. Harry Brook is going well at the other end. Um, and then Harry Brook, in the end, decided to get out himself. So, um, and lunch was near me, he says, all right, let me just get through lunch. Let's absorb the pressure. And then after lunch, I will come out and get this striker out, which is exactly what he did. Ollie Pope in the first day was, okay, Pat Cummins is in the middle of a good spell here. 
uh, let me just see my iron and then I'll get going myself as well. Um, especially when Nathan Lyon came on, you started to get going. I think that's what basketball is. It's a freedom for an individual to decide out there. This is what I thought was right. This is why I thought it was right. Ultimately, I got out to it. If I got out to that, uh, the decision that I thought that was right, it's okay. I thought it was the high value thing. They may go back inside and McCullum might potentially say, oh yeah, maybe you could have done this. But there isn't that negativity saying that, why are you doing this? That isn't the right shot to play. You can't be playing shots like that. It's more so saying, I like your thinking there. I like your thinking there. Um, perhaps this might be an alternative you might consider. It's that positivity. It's that optimism. It's that freedom. I think that's what basketball is. And um, I think that is a distinction that is important to understand when you sort of criticize at times the the self-detonation of some of the England dismissals, if that's what you would like to call it. And yeah, finally, the last narrative, the last thing to focus on before we wrap this up is the mastery that is Stuart Broad. He had said that he has been working on this outswinger uh, on Manus Labuschagne and, and Steve Smith. I think funnily in the second innings, it wasn't an outswinger that got them. It was the ball that was angling in and seeming away, the one that left them very late. That's what ended up getting them. And that is the Stuart Broad mastery. That is his stock ball. That is the ball that has always got him results. Or the one that just keeps going with the angle and seems in even further. It's that seam position that sort of makes up the crux of what Stuart Broad is. But in the first innings, he got Marnus Labuschagne with an outswinger. So now that sort of seed is in the back of Marnus Labuschagne's head. And I think you could see it with the way he was trying to bat. He was trying to get way, way outside the outside the line of off stump to, I guess... Um, my cat is just coming. Yeah, he was trying to get uh, way outside the line of off stump to to negate... Hold on, let's take a quick hiatus. And I'll start out with my cat. And I'll come back to you to explain the point. Okay, that's it sorted. Um... Come back to the point that I was making regarding Manus Labuschagne. He was getting way outside the line of um, off stump. He was, he, was he was batting way outside his crease. He always does that. Um, but you could almost see his leg, and to an extent, a bit of middle stump uh, with the with how moving cross he was doing. Why he was trying to he was trying to negate that outswing movement by trying to get to the pitch of the ball earlier. What does then Stuart Broad do? He sees this. So what does he do? He angles one in, and then he seams it away. And he knows if that seam away happens very late, which it usually does with Stuart Broad, that, that perfect Stuart Broad delivery, then Labuschagne's hands are going to be quite outside of stump. And in this case, it seems way so late, the Labuschagne's head to an extent falls over, and his hands go outside this sort of, um, I guess this imaginary box that, that many cricket analysts and commentators talk about. This imaginary box is sort of your hands staying close to your body to ensure you're not reaching for the ball, to ensure that you're playing the ball under your eyes. If you look at the the impact point of, of Labuschagne's edge, the, the dismissal ball, his hands were a bit out. His hands were outside his body. There was, a, there was an exaggerated gap. And that was because of Stuart Broad's mastery. His plan A was the outswinger, but then he went back to his his normal ball. Now was Labuschagne going to be thinking? He's got me with an he's got me with an inangled ball that seemed away very, very late. He's got me with an outswinger. What's his counter plan going to be? And that that's the demons that Labuschagne's going to have to battle with. I think he's a great, very great battle, and I, I think to an extent he's going to have a major impact, and he's going to have a major innings at some stage in the series. But Stuart Broad is challenging him very, very well, and it was the mastery that got him. I think Labuschagne could have obviously left it 
Um, I think Labuschagne, being as good a bowler battery is, probably should have been aware of, of the plan that Stubro was going at. Um, but it was a great ball, and I think the Steve Smith ball was an even better one. That one had an exaggerated in-swing moment. I think Labuschagne's one, it swung in a, a little amount, but it was mainly in with the angle. Steve Smith's one swung in. Like, you could see um, just from the the normal camera angle, not even the replay camera angle, just in, in, in sort of live view on television, you could see the trajectory of the ball um, exaggeratedly sort of moving, and then seems away. There's not many batters can do much there. Steve Smith, um, probably he went in it quite hard, I think Steve Smith doesn't play a ball that hard usually, but Steve Smith also does like playing in swingers because he feels that plays into his uh, his strength of his game. But this seemed in, seemed away at the last moment. So Smith playing for the the line of an exaggerated in swinger sees the seam away, hard hands front of his body, nicks off, has to walk back, and all of a sudden now England are in the game. Before that, Australia were ahead of the game. I think now it's probably 50-50. The key is Usman Khwaja. I think Usman Khwaja gets anything close to 100. Australia well in the chance. I think Travis Head is going to be a salient feature as well. If he can get like a quick 50, uh, as he always does, that's going to put the pressure right back on England. And Many people say, why why does he need a quick 50? He just needs a 50, right? So runs are holding more weight. You're right. To an extent, the runs do hold more weight. But the, the pace of the 50 will put pressure on England. They'll have to be more reactive in their plans. And that can open up further scoring options. So that quick 50 might turn into a quick 70. Usman Khwaja might get um, less pressure through the other end. So the pace does matter. And also, um, the quickness of Travis, Travis Head's game is a natural game. So you don't want it to play in the shell. You want it to play in a way that's going to be... Um, it's going to get the best opportunity to succeed. I think Alex Carey is going to also be very interesting because he's, I think he's been a very underrated part of Australia's success um, in the last two weeks. Um, and he's looking very, very good. I think he could play a major contribution for England. Early wickets. And then if there aren't any, you might see them resort to their funky plans. Day five promises to be great. It promises to be potentially a day that we will talk about in the years to come. Can't wait. See you at the other side.